Reclaiming Rest Radio, a ministry by which I coin myself as an unworthy, ordinary saint sinner that's on mission to encourage his brothers and sisters to rest in the worthy Christ and the extraordinary gospel. I'm Justin Joseph, your host, and I thank you for joining me. Before I introduce today's topic, please know that along with YouTube and Rumble, Reclaiming Rest Radio can now also be consumed on Spotify, uh, the podcast platforms of Apple and Google, and Pocket Casts. In addition, Reclaiming Rest can be contacted by email. The address is admin at reclaimingrest.org. And be reminded that my written content is on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, please know that I am learning this podcasting thing as I go. Uh, I hope to iron out issues over time, and I greatly appreciate your grace and patience as I do. That was some upfront housekeeping. On we go. Uh, this episode is the first part one of the show's first two-parter. And across both parts, I'm going to share uh, about how concepts related to the Reformation and how doctrines it recovered help believers find rest in Christ. In doing so, I hope that you, the listener, viewer, will have a better understanding about what informs my thinking and perspective on the topics that I've brought to the table so far and will continue to bring to the table. In this part one, I will cover the five matters that happen to be on my shirt at various levels of detail, and along with that, how the five matters relate to God's sovereignty. Okay, so my shirt. Uh, If you're watching, you might recognize these Latin phrases. These are the solas of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, and soli deo gloria. Uh, The solas relate to the realities of salvation and the church's interaction with scripture that proclaims and teaches it. So, the first phrase, sola gratia, means grace alone. Well, what does that mean? Uh, The term grace can be defined as unmerited or undeserved, or some might say ill-deserved favor, and it comes from God. What is critical to know about grace is that everyone is desperate for it. 
Why desperate? Well, something that also comes from God is wrath. And now what is wrath? And why does it also come from God? Uh, I'll answer the second half of that question first. God is holy, meaning he is separate from and altogether unlike all things created, including us. Uh, God is an incomparable, majestic being. He is eternal and transcendent, unbound by time and space. Uh, God is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-knowing. God embodies perfection. He is blameless and faultless. He answers to no one. Uh, he is pure, without corruption. And finally, God is rightfully due all worship and glory. More could be said, but that suffices for this point. And from God also comes the law, or the standard by which the created order must operate. Uh, in that law is a moral code summarized by Jesus as love God and love others. Uh, that moral code applies at all times to mankind, uh, the, the pinnacle of God's creation. Uh, unfortunately, not long after the first man, Adam, was created, he broke God's law. Uh, scripture calls the breaking of God's law sin. Uh, Adam also represented mankind and as a result passed on the condition of being sinful uh, to the rest of us, his descendants. And mankind stands condemned because Adam sinned. Uh, now to begin answering the First half of that earlier question, the term wrath refers to the due penalty for breaking God's law. Now, that due penalty is what hell is now and what the lake of fire will be. A salvation, then, is rescue from God's wrath, uh, the due penalty for our sin. And that's where the phrase sola gratia comes in. That salvation is by grace alone, or by God's unmerited, undeserved, or ill-deserved favor. Uh, in other words, no one can merit or deserve salvation from God's wrath. Um, if anyone could, then grace would no longer apply. But good news, God is gracious and gives salvation to his people as a gift. And I think that truth helps us to rest, because despite a Christian's ongoing sin 
uh, failures, struggles, weakness, you name it. Our Heavenly Father is unceasingly gracious. His grace never ends. It's inexhaustible. Okay, uh, the second phrase, sola fide, means faith alone. <laughs> and that alone is always a fun topic. Uh, again, what does that mean? I'll start by describing faith, uh, as I just did grace and wrath. One way of doing that is with the acronym CAT, a CAT with the letter K. Now, the acronym spelled out is Knowledge, Ascent, and Trust. For knowledge, sinners must understand that they are sinners. Uh, their need as sinners and who provides what they need. Uh, for ascent, that knowledge must be embraced by sinners, you know, that it applies to them personally. And finally, sinners must personally trust Jesus Christ, uh, who has done what is necessary for salvation. Uh, those facts are echoed by Reformed resources, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism being an example. Uh, a catechism, if you don't know, is a series of questions and answers which cover theology and doctrine. The idea behind a catechism is training and instruction, especially with young people. Uh, the, the Heidelberg is organized in Lord's Days, 52 in total to represent the year's worth of Sundays. Uh, and it contains, about the subject of faith, uh, Lord's Day 7, question 21. Uh, the question is, what is true faith? And the answer, true faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. Uh, I also happen to subscribe to the Second London Baptist Confession and appreciate what it says about faith. Uh, point one of chapter 14 reads, The grace of faith by which the elect are enabled to believe so that their souls are saved, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. Uh, faith is ordinarily produced by the ministry of the Word. 
by this same ministry and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, faith is increased and strengthened. And a couple statements from point two. By this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the Word, recognizing it as the authority of God Himself. The principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. You might have noticed some overlap between the Confession and the Heidelberg, which is to be expected since they agree on much in terms of theology and doctrine. Along with all that, I'll also say that faith is the means by which God unites his people to Jesus Christ and imparts the benefits of the gospel. Or some might say the new covenant or covenant of grace. Why the phrase sola fide exists is to contrast Christianity with systems of works. This was an instrumental takeaway in the Reformers' conflict with the Roman Catholic Church, which falsely claims to be of Christianity. Sadly, uh, the Roman Catholic Church pronounces anyone that subscribes to the doctrine of justification by faith alone as anathema, or without hope. If you're tempted to cry foul about my claim, it is Roman Catholic doctrine which came out of the Council of Trent. I did not make that up. And if that isn't bad enough, while some would not admit to it, Many that identify as Protestants also believe that salvation is ultimately by faith plus works. Hence why the Reformation was necessary then and is necessary today. Now, if you happen to be squirming as a result of suspicion that I am against works or an antinomian, please know that I have no problem acknowledging that works are important and have their place, just nowhere near what it means for someone to be saved, unless we're talking about the works of Christ. If our works are a factor, even to the degree of the size of a mustard seed, which is incredibly tiny, then the Latin phrase could not be faith alone. And all of us are truly anathema. Salvation 
cannot be earned by a sinner's works. Scripture is clear about that, especially in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And just think about it. Any ability to earn or contribute to one's salvation is grounds for boasting. And someone having grounds for boasting would mean that God is robbed of his glory. Sinners cannot be saved by their works. But, good news, sinners are saved by the work of Christ applied to them through the vehicle of faith, which is a gift, and by embracing this reality, believers can know rest. Rather than working and performing to be saved, we are saved, and therefore work and perform. Reversing that dynamic destroys the gospel, and by extension, assurance for the believer. Okay, moving on. Solus Christus, which means Christ alone. Uh, I, I already hinted at it, but the phrase boils down to what was necessary to achieve salvation for God's people was accomplished in entirely and only by Jesus Christ. His having lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death accomplished salvation. There's a, a Greek word on this shirt. Tetelestai, which translated to English means it is finished. Now, Jesus said those words just before giving up his spirit while crucified because he accomplished what was necessary to achieve salvation. So, those words are good news. And that's why mishandling sola fide and the doctrine of justification, uh, which I just talked about, is so serious. Faith plus works can't be a thing if what was necessary to achieve salvation is finished. Any insistence that a sinner's works are included in salvation is, dare I say, blasphemy against what Christ has done. If that doesn't sound correct, I urge you to read Romans, Galatians, um, or Hebrews. Those letters have plenty to say about the notion of faith plus works. Brothers and sisters, salvation is by Christ alone. And that's why he promises us rest when we go to him. He's done everything that is necessary for salvation so we can rest in him.
All right, now Sola Scriptura. <laughs> and that alone is another fun topic. This one is commonly misunderstood. And that is evident when you hear someone say something like, I just believe the Bible, or I only need the Bible. It seems that sola scriptura is often confused by what many Christians actually communicate by those statements, which is solo scriptura, or only scripture. And I can appreciate that phrase and those statements. On the surface, they seem perfectly reasonable. But why solo scriptura is problematic isn't a fault of scripture, but the common underlying attitude behind that phrase and those statements and their ramifications. In my estimation, well-intended Christians say those things because they believe they're protecting against the mistaken idea that sola scriptura suggests that scripture is somehow insufficient. But no one that properly understands sola scriptura will ever claim that scripture is insufficient. What believers that properly understand the concept do say is that scripture is the final authority on all matters pertaining to salvation, life, and godliness. That, that scripture interprets scripture. And that it's also good and wise to use and benefit from resources that have been produced by believers throughout church history. Because we are not the first ones to have read and studied scripture. I think it's dangerous to ignore or dismiss church history and the resources that have been produced, such as uh, the catechisms like the Heidelberg, the confessions, like the Second London Baptist, uh, the creeds, the many books, and various other things. And I'll get into that more in part two. As far as rest is concerned, we can get by for now knowing that without Sola Scriptura, it is so easy to mishandle the various people, uh, events, statements, uh, and commands in Scripture to the effect of easily destroying the person and work of Christ, the gospel, and assurance for the believer. And I think that what I get into in part two will help us further understand the how and why of that. Finally, we have Soli Deo Gloria, or to the glory of God alone.
Now, why salvation is accomplished and applied, uh, that salvation is accomplished and applied, and how salvation is accomplished and applied is to the glory of God alone. Because sinners cannot contribute to it or do anything to bring it about, all the praise for it being accomplished and applied belongs only to God. Brothers and sisters, let us worship God and give him all the glory for our salvation when we're gathered and rest in him as we do just that. Okay, I think that covers uh, what I desired to share about the solas. If you have anything to add uh, or desire clarification, by all means, uh, start or join a conversation uh, where we are on YouTube Rumble, or Facebook. Uh, I will close out part one with how the solas relate to God's sovereignty in salvation. It boils down to acknowledging and embracing that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God gives the gift of salvation when and where he pleases. His doing so has nothing to do with whoever receives it, and we do not control any of it. Uh, the how is the proclamation of the gospel by some form of communication. And the power to save is God's alone, as is the glory. Now, that is what Scripture proclaims and teaches. So, given that salvation has nothing to do with us, uh, that we only receive it, that is restful compared to systems based on works, uh, decisions, commitments, dedications, whatever. Brothers and sisters, I thank God that he used his word and our late brothers to bring about a reformation centuries ago, and that he uses his word and us to continue to reform the church today. I hope that the solas and God's sovereignty help us to find rest in Christ and to be back soon with part two. And I pray that we will always be reforming and restful while we do it. <laughs>